guys, welcome back to another episode of Chats from the Blog Cabin, the show where I invite people into the blog cabin to chat about life. I'm Melissa, and I'm your host. Today, I'm chatting with some representatives from First Focus, and it's a group that advocates on behalf of the children in the legislation, and so I'm very proud to be an ambassador for this group. I just joined up, and after talking with Lauren, um, I knew I didn't wanted to use my platform to help them affect change in the legislation. So, Lauren and Miriam, Thank you so much for joining us today. And tell us a little about yourself before we go into First Focus. So whoever wants to go first. Sure, I can go first. My name is Miriam. Um, I am the Senior Director for Immigration and Children's Rights at First Focus on Children. So I do our immigration advocacy. And my name is Lauren. I am the Grassroots Director for Advocacy. and. Uh, I manage the ambassadors program and help get people involved. Now, guys, tell us a little bit about what First Focus is and how you became involved in it. Yeah, so we're a DC-based advocacy group focused on making children and their caretakers the priority in federal policy and budget decisions. And we use a comprehensive approach. So we have a super talented policy team uh, that covers more than 15 policy areas, tax policy, child care, early childhood education, immigration, so much more. And we've been doing this work for over 15 years. Um, and you know, right now we're working to get more people engaged on the grassroots level. Um, so how did you guys both become involved in First Focus? How did you come to work for First Focus? I can go first. Um, so I previously did work in international human rights and then worked for an organization that works for um, immigrant children who are detained across the country and really came to understand that, you know, every aspect of policy, not just immigration policy, but all policy impacts kids um, and really fell in love with First Focus's mission, which is to make sure that every policy decision considers what's best for kids, what will keep them safe and healthy and with their families and help them thrive. Um, and so I was really excited to join the staff and really work not just on the issue I care a lot about, which is immigration, but really working with my colleagues about all issues and making sure that the government thinks about kids and their caretakers when they do policy. And Lauren, how did you get involved? Well, I started my career as a teacher and in the classroom, I saw how every policy area affects children, like Miriam's saying. And what I really love about First Focus is that we address every policy issue, right? We're, we aren't focusing on only one element, but we really bring coalitions together and make sure that the community of child advocates is making a difference for kids. So how can people get involved? You have an ambassador program, which I am so proud to be an ambassador and that's how we connected. And I was like, I want to use my platform to help affect change in the legislation. So Lauren, tell us how we can people can get involved in being an ambassador. Absolutely. So we recently launched the ambassadors program because this moment really stands out in federal child policy. We've got this once in a generation opportunity to cut child poverty and invest in childcare infrastructure. And there's also a really urgent need to address injustices in our immigration system and in other policies. Um, so we launched the Ambassadors for Children program to recruit advocates in states across the country um, to spread the word about these issues like we're doing right now, um, because your stories and your voices really show Congress that kids need to be a priority. Now, what would you say to somebody who says, well, 
they're not going to listen to me. Like people, when they vote, they're like, my vote doesn't matter. So I'm not going to vote. What would you say to that? Uh, well, I, I understand that perspective. I think advocacy can be really overwhelming and especially at the national level, but people power really does make a difference. And members of Congress and other lawmakers need to know that kids are a priority to voters. Kids are priority to the constituents that they represent. And unfortunately, kids can't vote. And sometimes that means that they're an afterthought in policy decisions. But if we organize to use our voices to say that that shouldn't be the case, we can really make a difference there. Yeah, I, if I can add to that really, really briefly. So I worked in this field, you know, during family separation in 2018. Um, and it was really people making calls and people expressing outrage that made a difference and kept children together with their families. And, you know, I, I you know, part of my job, we're based in D.C. And, and we have meetings with with staff and members of Congress. And very often they say, sure, that's what you're saying, but I'm not hearing this from my constituents. And so it really does make a difference when there's a, you know, a large group of people calling and saying, you need to make kids a priority. Members of Congress really listen to that. Their staff listen to that and let them know. So it, it really does make a difference. And I've seen it happen. Now, how can people get involved um, with the ambassador program? I know there's different levels and different things like people who may not have a lot of time and there's people that may have a ton of time. Absolutely. So one thing that I love about the ambassadors program is that people can really participate in the way that works for them, right? Uh, almost all of our advocacy opportunities are digital um, because we've got ambassadors all across the country. So ambassadors can uh, sign up at the link here that's on the screen. That's perfect. And then you'll receive invitations to do things like send emails to members of Congress about issues that are affecting kids, sign petitions, write letters to the editor. And we aim to provide uh, those policy updates and uh, perspectives that empower advocates to do things like that. Now, I know a lot of people will get caught up in the legislative genre or the legislative jargon of, of, and be so confused. So you guys kind of make it so it's simple so that people can understand what the legislation actually is talking about, correct? That's right, yeah. So let's talk about some of the legislation that's going on right now in Congress. Sure. So I can, you know, talk about my field in particular, um, which is immigration. And the thing that's interesting about immigration is that there's a role for Congress to play, but there's also a really huge role for the president and his administration to play. Um, and so really the priority for us right now is working on three main issues, which is the first is access to safety at the border. The second is a pathway to citizenship for undocumented people. And the last is access to benefits. Um, so I'll just talk briefly about each of those. So with access to safety at the border, you know, when children and families arrive at our border to seek safety, our laws require us to allow them to make their case and make sure they wouldn't be unsafe um, if they have to go back to their home country. Um, but during the pandemic, a lot of children and families have been turned back with no questions asked about whether or not they'll be safe. And that's really against the law. Um, um, the president has promised to have a humane and orderly immigration system. And for kids who arrive at the border by themselves, he stopped implementing that policy. Um, but we're really advocating for the administration to fully follow the law and allow all people to access the legal process to seek safety at our border. Um, 
and there have been some small changes to that policy and we're really seeking more on that part. Um, but we're also making sure that for the kids that are able to enter the country right now, that they're being properly cared for, that they're being cared for the way I want my kids to be cared for and anyone else's kids to be cared for in a safe family setting with people who understand their needs and that they have the support they need to both continue their immigration case um, and to build a new life in the US. So that's the first issue. Um, the second one is a pathway to citizenship. So there are 5 million children in the United States. Most of them are citizens of this country who have parents who are undocumented. And, and some of those parents are parents who came here as children themselves. Some of them are people who fled danger in their country and have been here for decades on some sort of temporary status. Some of them are essential workers and farm workers who have cared for us and kept us fed during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, and for a lot of these children, they live in constant fear of being separated from their family um, permanently and the instability that that can bring. Um, and so a pathway to citizenship is really important. So those kids can live free of fear, um, free of instability, and they feel free to you know, live and grow and thrive and go to school without fear in this country. Um, and that's really something that Congress has to do. Um, so that's something that we're pushing for as well. Um, and the last thing I'll talk about is access to benefits. Um, so most children, as I mentioned, most children of immigrants are US citizens. So they are eligible for, for benefits like healthcare, um, and nutrition access and housing access, things that are good for kids, right? Um, but over the past few years, immigrant communities have been really scared to have their kids access mm -hmm. those benefits. And that's had real consequences for children's health and development. Um, and so, you know, we're calling on the administration to do specific advocacy that reaches out to kids so that every kid who's eligible for a benefit that helps them to grow and be healthy is able to access it. Um, but another thing I'll say is, is that you know, even for, for kids who are, you know, here on a green card or their families are here on a green card, they have to wait five years before they can access these benefits. Um, and so we're, that's, a, that's the way our laws are. And so we're asking Congress to change that law so that all kids who have lawful status in the U.S. and all their families can access benefits that keep them healthy and safe, to help them to grow um, and really just, you know, build a really prosperous future. Wow. I mean, because honestly, a lot of things, a lot of people misunderstand immigration. They think, oh, it's so easy to come across Miriam. You and I were just talking about that before we, we hopped on how people have this misconception that, oh, they should come here legally because it's so easy. And it's not easy. You have to jump through mega hoops. So let's talk really, about that. Yeah, you really do. I mean, the, the process, to, you know, there's, there's really very few legal pathways to come to the United States. One is if you have a family member, and even in that process, it can take you years. You know, there've been people who've been waiting for 10, 15, 20 years who are in the line, you know, the way people talk about, they're in the line to, to come here and be reunited with their families, and it's gonna take even longer. Um, there's that, but there's also, you know, there are families arriving at the Southern border. And I think the thing that people don't understand is that seeking asylum, asking for safety when you've been persecuted, or face violence in your home country, that is a legal process. It is in our laws for them to do that. Um, and what we want is for that system to be fair, to be one that welcomes people with dignity, um, and to be one where there's a real fair and full evaluation of whether or not that person can be safe in their country. And that does mean sometimes that not everyone gets to stay, but it should mean also that if people have to return, that we are part of making sure they can go back safely. We are part of making sure they can go back and build their communities in their home country and help them to thrive. And it also means that when we talk about foreign policy, you know, when we talk about our relationship with those countries and those communities, that we're really making sure that kids are a priority there too, so that 
families don't feel like they're unsafe and have to leave. And so families won't be torn apart like we saw a couple of years ago in Texas. And I still think there's still the, those camps where children are actually torn apart from their parents. There, there thankfully has been some change to that policy. Um, a lot of kids who are arriving with their families, like I mentioned before, actually under this pandemic policy um, have been turned away. And that's something that public health experts, even people within um, the government have said is not necessary for public health, right? Like we can follow public health guidelines keep people safe and healthy from COVID, but also allow them the legal access to that process. Um, one thing I'm really glad to hear about from this administration is that they do have a family reunification task force. And so they're working to find those families who were separated because some of them, their kids are still here, but their parents were sent back to their home country and they've been separated now for three years. And so the government is really you know, making real efforts to make sure that they can reunify those families. And when they're reunified, giving them access to mental health services to help them recover from that trauma and rebuild family bonds. Um, so I'm really proud that our government is working on that and is really making efforts to right a really horrible wrong. Wow, and also immigration is not cheap by all means to get your visa. Cause I mean, we've gone through that with my husband and you know, people that know this show know that my husband's a native of Mexico and jumping through every possible hoop. And Miriam, you and I were talking before we got, you, we came on about you were a lawyer and it was hard for you to kind of navigate what's going on through the immigration system. So let's talk about how hard it is, first of all, for the paperwork and then the amount of money you have to dish out. Yeah, so there's a you know pretty extensive um, application process for when you want to become, when you first want to have a green card and then eventually become a citizen. So there's the green card paperwork, right? You have to show that you are who you are. You have to show that your relationship with the United States um, citizen is is real, right? Like on my part, it was showing that my marriage was a real marriage, right? That I really love my husband. And we had to do that and we had to send photos of our wedding and photos of us with other people, right? And, and that's the same for other family visas. And then, yeah, it's a lot of, of paperwork. It's a lot of forms that are put in legal jargon that's hard for me to understand. And I went to law school. So imagine going through that process. Um, you're new to this country. Um, you don't speak English as your first language. Sometimes you can't afford a lawyer. So that's another thing that you mentioned, Melissa, it's thousands of dollars just for the initial green card, right? And then to pay for a lawyer to help you is even more expensive. And that's just the green card. Once you get the green card, you have to wait for a, a few years, three to five years, and then you have to do this all over again to become a citizen. And you have to take a test to make sure you speak English and you have to take a civics test to make sure you know US history. and you know, I don't know some elements of US history, much less people who are not from here, right? So it really is a really long process. And for most people, it takes, you know, five to 10 years to really feel, you know, to be a citizen, to then have the right to vote, to then not feel like at some point your life could be completely disrupted um, and you're separated from family and loved ones. Yeah, so it's so important that we change the immigration laws so that it doesn't affect the children. Because I remember at being a teacher, Lauren, that's how I kind of resonate with you, is I used to be a teacher and I remember somebody in the front office at the school I worked at were talking about, I cannot believe these children don't speak English. Well, the children don't have any choice. The children come where the parents go. So they were blaming the children for not, have, not having English as their first language. And I'm like, wait a second, that is all wrong. So let's talk about the effects of that. Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting, right? Like we are a nation of immigrants. There are immigrants from Italy and Ireland and all sorts who spoke their native languages when they arrived, right? And 
I'm from Pennsylvania. And so, you know, there's still families that speak Pennsylvania Dutch to this day. And so holding on to that heritage is really important for a lot of families. Um, but I, I'll talk a little bit about, you know, the, the toxic stress um, that kids go through. You know, when kids, just the fear of their family member being detained or deported um, just puts them in a state of constant stress, right? Like they're constantly afraid. Um, I know in the past few years, we've heard of families being afraid to access school, afraid to go to community centers, um, you know, where the kids can play, afraid to go to playgrounds because they're afraid of immigration enforcement. So kids don't get to live you know, a full childhood in the way that their peers do. And they also are living in this constant fear. And that fear really has physical manifestations of stress, right? Like kids can't sleep, their appetite's affected, and that has long-term consequences for the rest of their life. And we really should not be, for millions of children, inflicting trauma that's not necessary, right? And I think one of the things that the president and Congress is working on is not just about a pathway to citizenship, for those who are already here to alleviate that stress, but how do we address the system we were just talking about, Melissa, right? How do we actually make it so people have more ways to come here um, and reunite with their families and not have to deal with the stress on the back end, but really have a fair, humane, um, legal pathway to come here on the front end? That's so true. Now, First Focus has an event coming up next week, right? Called Children's Week. So Lauren, do you wanna talk about that? Yes, um, we do. Next week is National Children's Week. And uh, for years, we've been doing events and interviews with lawmakers. Uh, next week is no exception. We have some great events coming up. Uh, and in particular, we're going to be talking about the impact of the recent changes to the child tax credit and the really, truly incredible impacts that can have in reducing child poverty. Um, so we are calling for those improvements to be made permanent. Uh, right now, they only last a year. And we'll be exploring some other issues that are affecting kids right now as well. So uh, to sign up, people can go to the website link that we shared before uh, or check us out on social media. We'll be streaming uh, almost all of those events. So um, folks can follow us on Twitter at first underscore focus or campaign for kids. Um, and anyone who signs up to be an ambassador as well will be looped into all those opportunities. So give us some examples of some of the opportunities that you will be sharing on Children's Week. Right, so next week, like I mentioned, we'll be talking about the child tax credit um, as well as EITC, uh, and the way that reducing child poverty will have really incredible impacts. Uh, a few years ago, we commissioned a study um, along with the National Academy of Sciences that showed the impact of reducing child poverty and how the child tax credit can really be the best way to implement that. So when you go to these legislators and you talk about these policies that you want to affect change on, are most of them receptive? Do most of them want to hear you? Or do most of them say, um, no, I don't have time for you? Or do you have to literally bang down the door for them to get to listen, for them to listen to you? I'm so glad you asked. We track legislators' responses um, in situations like this. So we track the way that lawmakers vote. And each year we award um, champions for children. So the lawmakers in Congress that are consistently voting for kids 
are listening on these issues and are championing children's issues um, receive our Champion for Children Award or sometimes our Defender for Children Award. Um, uh, anyone who wants to visit our website can see that listing for the last year. I think it's always interesting to know um, how your representatives are voting. Uh, and it is really so important that we have those champions in Congress. Are you seeing with the champions in Congress that there's a divide between like the states of like the southern states, the northern states, the western states, the, the east coast, the west coast, the, the farmlands? Do you see a divide in how they, they do it, how they vote? We have champions in both parties um, and from across the U.S., uh, we have noticed a trend that uh, a larger proportion of champions are women. Um, uh, Miriam, if you want to add on any other trends that we've seen. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, to go back to your question, Melissa, I think a lot of people and a lot of lawmakers believe that they are advocates for kids. And when when they're asked about it, I think you know immediately they would think about like, of course we care about kids. Um, but I think part of the part of the reason why we're doing Children's Week and why our theme this week is um, every issue is a kid's issue is because when things don't say child, I think a lot of people forget that that matters for kids, like healthcare, like immigration, like um, criminal justice reform. Like there are a lot of issues that impact kids people don't think about. Transportation even, right? Like most kids are pedestrians. And so I think that, that that's part of what we try and do is, is you know, be, um, a voice and kind of add to the chorus of people who are like, you need to think about this all the time. And what's great about having ambassadors is that they, you know, we do this in DC, but we have people from home who can go to town halls and call their rep and say, have you voted for kids this year? I noticed you weren't a champion this past year and what are you gonna do to change that? Um, so I think there's really um, ways to move forward. I, I think what we've seen, you know, part of why we do our work is that we have champions from both parties um, but we also see kids be an afterthought across the board. And so that's part of why we do our work. Now, do you think it, most of the time it's the women because they're the ones that having the kids, so they see how kids are affected firsthand? Do you think that's the reason why women are more champions? I think, especially recently, there have been a lot of women who have come into Congress from exactly the experiences we're talking about, right? Like they've been married. Um, with kids, they've had to figure out how to put their child into childcare and do the work that they do, or they've been teachers. So I think that that the, for a lot of them, like they've experienced firsthand a lot of the issues they decide to champion, um, or they themselves have gone through some sort of childhood trauma, or they were in the foster care system. So these are things that matter to them. Um, there are definitely a lot of, of um, male representatives who also understand this. Um, you know, on, on my end, there are a lot of really awesome representatives and senators who are themselves immigrants and children of immigrants. And, we, you know, I've seen this also in the administration, some of the first cabinet members who have been children of immigrants themselves. Um, so I think that that um, when people have lived experience and have that memory of being a child or working with their child, they definitely understand these issues first and foremost. So basically their personal experiences affect the way they think about issues. I think that's definitely true. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes it's about someone jolting a memory for, for a representative, right? About what it was like when they were a kid, what it was like getting their kid into school um, and, and things like that. What it's been like, I think the pandemic has absolutely been an equalizer, right? Because everyone's tried to figure out working from home. 
everyone knows someone who's, you know, trying to navigate both work and, you know, their kids doing school virtually. A lot of people have become childcare, you know, givers and, and teachers themselves in the past year and really understand why those systems are important. So I think, you know, like Lauren said, this is a once in a generation opportunity where people really understand um, really what our policies impact kids and, and why we need to think about them um, more regularly and with more forethought. Has there ever been one particular legislator or, or, or it could be a group that they just really did not want to listen to anything that you said that they didn't, no matter what you said, they weren't listening. They were like, it was like hitting your head against a brick wall. I will say I've thankfully never had that experience. Um, I mean, I, I will say I mostly work, you know, talk to the staff of members, um, but staff are really receptive. Um, the way it typically works is they have, each staff has a particular area of focus. And so the people I talk to are, are really knowledgeable on immigration issues. Sometimes they don't think about kids issues, but they really value that input. Um, and I've done a few advocacy days now, and, and this is another reason why constituents matter. When people come and tell their personal stories, that really, really matters. And people really understand that. They care about the facts and the data and all the things that I can give them. But really when someone tells their personal story, um, about how this issue impacts their lives that really matters for both staff and members of Congress. And so, you know, just driving home why it's even more important for, for people to get involved from across the country um, about why their personal story um, should weigh in and, and how their personal story fits in with what policymakers do every day. And Lauren, what about you? Do you have an experience like that? Well, I, I think I would agree that advocates can really make a difference in those cases. Um, of course, the data is important and can weigh in um, to lawmakers' decisions, but ultimately they represent the community, they represent their constituents. Um, so I do think that advocates telling their stories can really make an incredible impact. Um, and uh, so that's, you know, one additional reason that I would highlight how impactful ambassadors have been and will be um, in our work going forward. And that is so true. I mean, honestly, I'm putting that thing back up again so people want to join to become an ambassador because I think a lot of people look at legislation and see the numbers and they don't put a face to the numbers, but once you put a face to the numbers, it changes mm -hmm. everything. Like you can see little Susie down the block who doesn't have enough to eat and she's living in a cardboard box and she's five years old. That's going to impact more than a number on a piece of paper. Absolutely. So what else are you guys doing? You have something called a bill tracker too. So let's talk about that. Yeah. So I, yeah, I can, I can start cause I have to do this every day. So we get notifications <laughs> about when there are bills introduced in Congress and we read them and we make sure, you know, we, we do some weighing, like, is this good for kids? Is this bad for kids? Is there some of it that's good for kids and some of it's that's, that's bad. And that happens sometimes. Um, and so um, we put in those bills into our bill tracker so that people can know you know, what bills are out there that we are definitively supporting. Um, we also put up a, a, pro, um, a proactive children's agenda um, for every congressional session so people know what we're prioritizing. Um, and that's part of how we do our legislative scorecard. Not a lot of bills, unfortunately, 
are voted on. But when bills are voted on, that's another thing we look at is for the bills that we think are really good for kids or really bad for kids, how do members of Congress vote on those bills? Yeah, and Lauren, do you have anything to add to that? I think Miriam summed it up perfectly. Um, yeah, that really does weigh into uh, who we award as a champion for children. Uh, and one thing that ambassadors can do is speak to their legislators about why they're not a champion for children, right? Why aren't you supporting this bill that would really make a difference for kids' education or access to healthcare? That is so true. Now, education is also a very important issue. I know we didn't talk about that beforehand, but since both of us, Lauren and I are both coming from education backgrounds, um, the cuts in education where children are being cut, classes are being cut for children and the class sizes are expanding and they're cutting assistants and they're cutting teachers or they're cutting this, they're cutting that. That's going to affect children in the long run. Let's talk about that. Absolutely. We've seen a couple of major education issues at the federal level this year. Um, one is school testing. That's been mm -hmm. a contentious one. And I think teachers have firsthand experience with how um, challenging testing can be even in a good year. Um, so there's been a lot of contention around the impact of those requirements on kids and whether that's really beneficial. Um, Another issue, of course, has been whether or not to reopen schools and what's required to make that safe for teachers and students. Uh, one thing that our education policy experts recently wrote about was uh, the ways that schools need to provide for kids' mental health when they come back into the classroom. Mm -hmm. uh, we've been saying for a long time that there is not enough mental health support in schools. We need more counselors. Uh, more emotional, social emotional supports. Um, and I think that's about to be more true than ever. And that brings me to another topic, mental health for children. Because mm -hmm. that's important. And because you're seeing a lot of people now that are coming out that have gone through trauma, like 9-11 babies, other things like that. And they're not able to deal with the day-to-day -day life. And you see more talk now about mental health and how it's not a stigma. They're trying to erase the stigma around mental health and asking for help. So let's talk about that. What are there some bills in the legislation right now that have to do with mental health? Absolutely. Um, we've recently looked at legislation that would uh, direct some funding away from school resource officers um, who enforce uh, kind of strict disciplinary rules in schools and towards counselors to provide more mental health support. So it's a proactive investment in kids' social and emotional well-being um, rather than focusing primarily on punishment um, for misbehaviors that, you know, we need to invest in kids, teaching them how to cope with trauma um, and how to develop healthy social emotional skills because that leads on to their adult life and then maybe they grow up to become a legislator and they're like oh someone helped me then i need to make sure we keep this particular piece of legislation intact so that it'll help future generations mm -hmm. absolutely now another one that we we're also going to talk about because lauren and i when we had our initial phone call, I talked about my daughter getting her degree in environmental toxicology. So we're going to talk about climate change and how climate 
is actually affecting children. People don't, th people don't seem to think that it's happening. So let's talk about that. Absolutely. Um, we have members of our policy team who look into the impacts um, to children's health and uh, overall well-being. Um, nutrition programs and healthcare programs also um, impact that, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so climate change is not one of our primary policy areas, um, but we definitely see how it's connected to everything. And, um, you know, I, I taught in a city that had um, an incinerator placed really close to the school. Um, and there are higher rates in that neighborhood of asthma among children. Um, and that's a consideration that, uh, you know, often isn't front of mind um, when decisions uh, about regulations are being made, but kids are some of the most vulnerable to those impacts. So why do you think kids aren't the first focus for legislation? Do you think more it's trying to make other constituents happy and some constituents don't have kids, so they're not worried about it or are they just kind of forgotten the society? Well, I think kids don't vote and so might not be front of mind as a voter base or as constituents. Um, I also think that, uh, you know, kids are seen as resilient. And while that's certainly true, kids really can be impacted by all of these policy areas um, and all of these decisions. And it's important to invest in their well being and their thriving um, and not just. Uh, not, yeah. just, not just kind of toss them away until they get grown up to be an adult. And then they have all this stuff that's gone wrong in their life and they're taking it out on society. Mm -hmm. So let's, what other kind of legislation are, are going through right now? I know Marion, you said you have built trackers. So is there certain ones that are on now that are really like high key that they're going to vote on soon or. Well, you know, the, the president has put forth, um, some of his recommendations, including the American Families Plan. Um, and that, you know, I think our president characterized it as probably one of the most historic bills for children. Um, I think we've tracked that it makes like eight really key investments in children from what Lauren was talking about with the child tax credit to education, to childcare, and education, not just, you know, K through 12, but also early childhood education and, you know, college and university. Um, and so I think that that's really, that's coming up soon in terms of when Congress is gonna consider that bill. Um, so I think that's gonna be really important. Um, some of the things that I'm working on, you know, um, some initiatives I don't think are, have yet been introduced, but that we're working with members of Congress on are exactly getting at what we were just talking about. Like how do we make kids a, a, a more forefront consideration um, and one of them, one of the ideas that we have that's something that happens across the world is an independent children's commissioner. Someone whose sole job it would be is to just look at our policies, both, you know, from members of Congress, but also from the president and his administration. Um, are those policies good for kids? We don't have that, but there are countries across the world where someone's sole job is to look at whether or not policies are good mm -hmm. for kids. And I think another thing that gets at what you were asking, Melissa, is people think that kids should be seen and not heard. But one of the things we've really seen in the past few years from gun safety to climate change, um, even to immigrant justice is that young people really have a lot of ideas. 
um, they are making their voices heard. And so what does it mean for the government to affirmatively seek out their point of view and their experiences? And the great thing about an independent children's commissioner is that that's what they would do, right? Like they not only look at the data, but their job is also to sit down with children, um, not just kind of the teenagers, but also, you know, we talked to um, a commissioner from Australia who did consultations with little kids, right? And mm -hmm. really learning um, more about kids and like, you, you know, you glean so much information from kids who are experts in their own lives in so many ways, right? Um, so those are some of the things that we are working on. How do we change government structures so that not only are kids, you know, structurally more of a consideration, but how do we change the culture so that, you know, members of Congress and people who work in federal agencies are just automatically thinking about kids when they make policy? Well, I love that. And when you were talking, I was thinking about, you never know what's going to come out of the mouth of a, of a child because the children are going to tell the truth. <laughs> they may tell you that you look ugly. Um, you never know what's going to come out of their mouth. So they may be able to tell the actual truth. Whereas, you know, parents sometimes don't want to say how bad things really are, but the children can see how bad they are. Like we didn't eat dinner last night. We sleep in our car, whereas the parents were kind of embarrassed about it. The kids don't have that embarrassment around it. So I think that's a great opportunity to learn more and to get more policies in place for children. Do you Definitely. guys see that happening in anytime soon or? Are We're you hopeful. I, I mean, I think this is again, another reason why ambassadors are a huge part when, when members of Congress feel the pressure, they really start to act. Right. And so, you know, on the one hand, we do kind of the more intricate, like, um, work in terms of what should the policy look like and what does the language look like and how will this work out in law, but really it has to, it has to feel like it's a priority across the country. Um, and so I, it's really helpful for us, even for things that aren't, you know, introduced yet to have members from the community call and say, this is a priority. And then we can step in and say, here's how you would do it. We can help you, you know? Um, so I think those are things that are, that are really, really helpful for the things that we're pushing for that aren't already, um, you know, legislation that we can create legislation together with ambassadors. I love that. So you can start at the ground floor level and kind of move your way up to help yeah. affect change. I love that. Absolutely. Now we're going to talk about, um, I just lost my train of thought. Um, ambassadors again, because I know there's a lot of people that think it doesn't matter. They're not going to listen or, they don't think that their voice matters at all. They have that, don't have that confidence in themselves to be out there and advocating for others. So what would you say to someone who doesn't have the confidence to go out and say, you know, you need to advocate because it doesn't take a lot to go an email or something like that. So let's talk about that, you know, steps that they can take if they don't have a lot of self-confidence. Absolutely. I, I would emphasize that you do not need to be a policy professional or an advocacy professional to become an ambassador for children. We welcome parents, educators, young people, any community members who want to make a difference for kids and for the next generation. Um, as an advocate, your audience is the people who are elected to represent you, um, your house representative, your senators, all lawmakers at the federal level. Um, and they, like we've said, want to know what constituents think and want to know about how those policy decisions impact people on a personal level. So if you can speak to your own experience, be an expert in your own life, like Miriam said, and share that, 
that's really all that's needed to make a difference. And I also, oh, go ahead, Mary. Yeah, I was just gonna say that the, a lot of the opportunities that I've joined, um, you're not by yourself, right? So sometimes there are people who do advocacy days and they'll do like an hour long training so that you learn about the issue. Um, and they'll give you, especially nowadays when we've done them virtually, you know, they'll help you with Zoom etiquette. They'll give you scripts for when you call. So there, and sometimes when you do these visits, you don't do it by yourselves, right? You do it with other members of your community. And so there are really supports out there. Um, and maybe some of the ways is, is get involved in some of those group settings first, and you can kind of build and find your voice. And then you'll, you know, find that full on confidence, like Lauren was saying, to tell your own story and be the expert in your life and, and talk to these people who really, their job is to listen to you, you know, they work for you. And I think taking that mindset into it really helps. Yeah, I was like, you don't get a paycheck unless I vote you in. So you've got to listen to me, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. So is there anything else that you guys want to touch on? I know we touched on a lot of topics. Is there anything else that you guys want to touch on? Uh, I'll just, you know, kind of end on my, you know, I know that my issue in particular immigration can be a very contentious issue. Um, but I think what I've really learned is when you look at it from the lens of a child that's going through the system, it really informs um, some common sense, really practical, but also really humane and dignified policy solutions. And I think that as much as it seems like there might not be progress, I think that when we start from the lens of children and their families, I think we really can make a difference in this field. So I really just encourage people to get involved in this issue, um, to learn more, um, look at the updates that we send, um, reach out if this is an issue that you're really interested in um, and we can make a difference together. Absolutely. And I would just highlight that this is truly a watershed moment in federal child policy. Um, we, we have the research and we have the resources to make some really incredible structural changes for kids to reduce child poverty, to provide healthcare access for all children. No child should be without healthcare and to right so many of these injustices that are enshrined in policies right now. Um, so I would really encourage anyone who has considered being an advocate to look into ambassadors for children. Um, and one of the great things is like Miriam said, you're not alone uh, in advocacy, right? We have a brilliant team of policy experts um, we provide resources and connections with partner organizations. Um, so we are happy to, you know, support anyone who's at any stage of their advocacy journey. And that brings me to a question. You just talked about you have partnership with other ad advocacy organizations. So you can kind of, hey, if you're really interested in immigration, go this way. Are you really interested in child poverty? Go this way to kind of help people place them in other organizations as well so they can get more involved, correct? Absolutely. We have some incredible coalitions. We work with the Child Poverty Action Group, the Children's Budget Coalition, lots of state partners. So uh, we connect advocates with opportunities uh, to engage in some of their actions. And we also work with all of those groups to agree on policies and use our voices together uh, to express support for issues. Now, what kind of ambassador are you looking for? Because I know a lot of people are saying, I'm not qualified to do this. I don't have a college degree. I don't have this. I don't have that. But you don't need that, right? 
anyone who's willing to use their voice for kids can be an ambassador. I love that. So ladies, I want to thank you so much for coming on and being on Chats in the Blog Cabin. I, you guys are welcome to come back. I know you're going to come back along the time because I'm, I'm hooked up with you now. I'm in there for life. I'm advocating for children as, long, as well as with you. But if there's any policies or anything that we know we need to put pressure on, you guys, please holler out. Send me an email. Let me know. And we will schedule something. I mean, even if it's a quick turnaround one, I can always do that, too, as well. Absolutely. Thank Thanks you so much, so much for having your time, Melissa. And thank you for being an advocate for kids. You're welcome. And guys, I just, I'm so impressed with what they're doing for our children in this world. Even if you don't have kids one day, someday you'll have kids or you'll be in touch with the kids somewhere. So please consider getting involved. And I'm going to leave out the show with the screen with the, how you can sign up to be an advocate with the QR code as well. So hope you guys have a great rest of your day. Thank Bye. you. Y'all, thank you so much for listening to this chat. Little things that we can do to advocate for children or to advocate for better legislation is really just simply dropping an email or picking up the phone and calling somebody or getting involved with a group like First Focus, which is advo which advocates for children. I will put in the show notes um, how you can actually contact them to become an ambassador for their program. I I decided that I was going to use my platform not only to let other people share their stories, but to also affect some changes in government because I have the background in education as I was a teacher and I have three amazing girls. And I hope that one day these, my girls will have children of their own and the world is a better place for them to live in. Um, so I'm going to drop a link in the show notes for where you can find more information about how to become an ambassador or more information about first focus as well. Thank you for watching and listening and viewing wherever you're listening to. Please like, subscribe, or review wherever you're watching or listening to the show. And share it with your friends. Let them know what's going on. And as always, be blessed. And remember, keep chatting.